If you had, um, let me ask you this question as we get started today. If you had three to six hours of just free time to watch anything, what would you watch? A lot of the guys are thinking, I don't want to watch the game, right? Some of you ladies are thinking otherwise, although some of, the, some of you ladies love the game too, and I respect that. Um, you know, they say Hollywood is actually crafting um, series, seasons of shows now to be watched in a binge-watching state instead of, you know, in the old days, we, we had to wait until Wednesday for the new show to come out. You guys don't do that. You just push play and, you know, it's like you watch four or five episodes or watch a whole season in a day, that sort of thing. Any binge watchers here? No, you don't want to admit that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm headed off to an elk hunt soon, and I'll be honest with you, I could probably watch three or four hours straight of elk hunting videos. Just kind of gets in your blood, you know, and you just keep hitting YouTube again and again and again. So I totally understand and feel that. Where we're going to launch this morning, and I have the privilege of helping us just for the next few moments to watch Jesus, to think about Jesus, to put our eyes on Jesus and specifically on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, we're told about four soldiers who had the privilege and the opportunity for three to six hours to do nothing but sit at the foot of the cross and watch Jesus. Verse 35 of Matthew 27 says it this way, and when they had crucified him, they parted his garments among them, casting lots, and they sat and watched him there. They sat and watched him there. Of course, soldiers often have to do terrible things, and these particular men, John tells us there were four of them, were commanded the brutal task of driving the nails through the quivering hands and feet of the Lord Jesus and then lifting the cross up and setting it into its socket. They've probably done this before and you tend to get accustomed to um, gruesome work and so maybe, maybe perhaps these men were able to crucify the Son of God without much pity or remorse. So after setting the cross up in its place, the Bible tells us they divided his clothes, especially the expensive seamless garment, um, casting lots for that most valuable piece. And having done that hard work, the terrible work of crucifixion, there was nothing left for them to do except to sit and watch. In those days, soldiers were always assigned to guard or to watch at a crucifixion, sometimes to make sure that no unwanted or unnecessary um, cruel activity was inflicted on the sufferer. But more than that, especially in the case of Jesus, they were there to make sure that his friends or his disciples didn't try to rescue him or pull him down from the cross. So after the crucifixion had happened, these four soldiers, they found a place, maybe some ledge or some shelf, to just sit down. They're fully armed, ready to enter if something were to happen, and they just, for three to six hours, they watched the cross. They saw every detail of the most important event in human history. They heard everything that he said. They heard how he said them, how he treated them and how he treated the other people at the foot of the cross, and they were eyewitnesses to this most important event. So we asked the question, what did they see? 
I'm gonna ask you today to come with me and use our imaginations and we're gonna try to put ourselves in their shoes and sit down there at the foot of the cross and watch him too. The first thing I wanna point out to us is that they watched him there. They paid attention to Jesus at the foot of the cross. How many know there are a lot of different ways to look at Jesus or a lot of different places to watch Jesus or perspectives perhaps to see Jesus or lenses to see Jesus through? There are a lot of folks throughout history that have seen Jesus primarily as teacher. You could sit and watch him as he teaches the multitudes and you'd hear the most gracious and wonderful and profound words that ever fell from human lips. Words that have changed the world. You'd be compelled to say like the temple soldiers, if you recall, the temple soldiers were sent to apprehend Jesus in John chapter seven, and they came back empty-handed, and they were asked, why didn't you bring him? And their response was, no man ever spake like this man. The leader said, are you bewitched too? Or maybe we'd say like so many others said that this man teaches in a different way. He teaches with authority, not like our scribes and our teachers of the law, but there's something different about the content and the actual authority in the words that came from Jesus's lips. If you watch him as teacher, you'd call him rabbi, you'd call him master, you'd call him, as many have, the greatest teacher that ever lived. I wish we could go around the church this morning if we had the time, if we could be here for the next 24 hours and go one by one and just ask you the question, what are your favorite words from Jesus? What are the words that Jesus spoke that have given you comfort in your heart in some of your darkest hours? What are the words that your hearts have latched onto? The words that came from Jesus that have helped you through trials and tribulations in your life. I think for me of those beautiful words, and so many of us would quote Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What beautiful words those are. I think about some of my favorite words, John chapter 14, when Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. One of my friends in explaining the gospel, he said, basically the gospel boils down to this. Jesus said, I'll leave my place and I'll come to your place and then I'll take your place so that I can go prepare a place so I can bring you to my place and we can be together forever. That's pretty good, isn't it? You see, Jesus is teacher. These words that fall from his lips. It's a beautiful place, beautiful perspective to see Jesus. He is the greatest teacher that ever lived. Other people have looked at him primarily through the lens of a worker of miracles. They've seen Jesus as healer, 
and miracle worker. And you could, you could sit and watch Jesus as he exercised power over nature, as he healed the sick and cast demons out of people, and even as he raised the dead. And you'd be compelled to call him the great physician and say like Nicodemus said, no man could do such mighty works unless God were with him. Or maybe like the disciples said when he calmed the storm, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Again, I wish we could go around the church and each one of us just take time and hear from you, what are your favorite miracles of Jesus? What are the miracles of Jesus that have spoken to you, that you cling to and you lean on? I've mentioned Jesus calming the storm. That's Mark chapter four. You remember Jesus was asleep in the boat. The storm blew in that made the disciples who were seasoned fishermen afraid for their life. And they eventually, you know, as the spray was splashing in Peter's face, he said, dear God, John, go wake him up. Find out what's going on here. And they asked him, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die here. Don't you care? And Jesus gets up and speaks those profound words, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm, quiet, be still. And to this day, I don't know if he was speaking to the storm or to the hearts of the disciples. (laughs) I got two dumb dogs. One of them's a little smarter than the other one. It's frustrating. Some of you are probably better at training dogs than I am, and it's easier to train one dog at a time. But the smart one, you know, normally I'll give a command, you know, like sit or lay down or something to the dumb one who's always wiggling. And what happens, the smart one obeys the command. And to this day, I don't know, when Jesus said, quiet, be still, if he was talking to the storm or if he was talking to their hearts and the storm just sat down. (laughs) Both of them were true, right? I think about Jairus' daughter. We're talking about the miracles of Jesus. He's a miracle worker. He's a healer. When he raised that little 12-year-old girl from the dead, she was an only daughter, 12 years old, and Jairus' sunshine, his whole life was lying dead in that room, and Jesus went in taking the three disciples with him, James, Peter, and John, and says he took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kuam, he whispered in her ear, little girl, little lamb would be our translation, get up. And I think about the hand that created the universe, that holds the universe together, is also gentle enough to take a little cold, dead hand and lift her up. I think about the voice that breaks the cedars of Lebanon, that's gentle enough to whisper in that little girl's ear and say, little lamb, arise. And I think, what manner of man is this? He's a worker of miracles. And you could look at him through that perspective of teacher. You could see him through that perspective of a miracle worker and a healer. Or other people have seen him through the lens of a friend of sinners. And wow, what a beautiful view that gives us of Jesus. He's a friend of the sinners and the marginalized and the outcasts. You could watch him through the gospel accounts as he befriends tax collectors and he forgives sinners and he ministers to the poor. Jesus breaks down racial and gender barriers. 
And we'd be compelled to call him the good shepherd and say as others did, he does all things well. And again, we could go around the church this morning and talk about our favorite stories of Jesus loving people and how we could identify with different people in the gospel accounts that Jesus welcomed and pulled inside instead of pushing outside. I think about John chapter 8, that precious lady that was caught in adultery and brought and shoved in front of that crowd of people. The religious leader said, Moses said we're supposed to stone this lady. What do you say? And it was a trap, of course, to trap him. And Jesus begins to kneel down and ride in the dirt and all the mystery and the wonder of that story just thrills my heart. But he finally says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Wow, how amazing. And then one by one, beginning with the oldest, they drop their rocks and they begin to leave until nobody's left except Jesus and the lady. And he looks at her in the face and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one accused you? No one, sir, she says, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. What kind of man is this? The friend of sinners. So we can see him as teacher. We can see him as healer or miracle worker. We can see him as the friend of sinners. And these all give amazing views of Jesus, of the nature and the character of God. But none of these views can compare with the revelation of the heart of God as seen at the cross. There's a mountain that um, we like to climb in Durango, just outside of Durango. It's called Engineer Mountain. It's about a 12-mile hike to get to the top, and it's pretty good elevation gain. And you get up just shy of 14,000 feet, and there's different views all along that are just gorgeous. I mean, it's something looks like something out of a storybook, just beautiful country. And there's different views all along the way, and some folks will settle for those preliminary views, but it's not until you get to the top, until you get to the summit, that you really get to take it all in. And that's where you see the most comprehensive view. And in the same way, all of these other views, they give beautiful pictures of Jesus. When we look at him as teacher, when we look at him as a miracle worker, as a friend of sinners, they all give beautiful views, and he's majestic in all of those, but it's not until you get to the cross. When you get to the summit that you get the most comprehensive view. And you see Jesus at his most divine. You see him most beautiful. You see the greatest reflection of the character and the heart of God. And these four soldiers, they sat down for three to six hours. And they just watched Jesus on the cross. So we asked the question, what did they see? First thing they saw was courage. You see, courage is a soldier's virtue. These men would have noticed and immediately respected the courage of Jesus. They would have heard the story about how he volunteered himself at his arrest in the garden. You remember, instead of slipping away into the dark, which would have been so easy to do, he went out and he met his accusers and said, I'm the one you're looking for, let my friends go. So they knew he about his courage there, but then they saw up close that he refused to take the wine mixed with gall that Matthew talks about in his gospel. The wine mixed with gall was basically an anesthetic. And just before he was crucified, they offered him this anesthetic, this ability to dull the pain, but Jesus refused to drink it. 
Can you imagine the soldier's surprise? They're thinking, you're about to undergo the most painful death possible to humanity, and we're offering you this potion, but you won't take it. This ability to dull your pain, but you won't receive it. Why? Why would you do that? I can think of at least two reasons. In the book of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, By the grace of God, Jesus would taste death for everyone, thereby bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Jesus had to taste death. He had to taste full death, real death, which is separation from God. He couldn't taste death if he was numb. And because he tasted death, we don't have to. There was a young minister in his early 30s who was widowed. He was trying to wrestle with how to communicate to his little girls. He had two, little, two daughters that mom was safe in the arms of Jesus in heaven. And it wasn't until on the way to his funeral, to her funeral, that he, he finally, it dawned on him how to communicate this. He was driving down a two-lane highway, and he said, he said, hey, girls, do you see those semi-trucks coming in the opposite lane? And they said, yes, daddy. And he said, do you, do you see the shadow that they cast over into our lane? And they said, yes. And he said, would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And the oldest girl said, daddy, the shadow can't hurt us. And he said, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the full weight of the truck of God's wrath so that mom only had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It couldn't hurt her because of what Jesus did. You see, Jesus had to taste death so that we don't have to. That's why he didn't take the potion, the wine mixed with gall. There's another reason, I believe a simple reason, that Jesus didn't take that potion, and that's simply because there was one more soul to save. Do you recall on the cross, eventually, one of the thieves that was crucified with him eventually reached out to him and said, hey, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus had to have his wits about him because there was one more soul to save, even as he was on the cross. And he would go through that measure of pain and suffering for one more soul. What does that tell you about his love for you and I? He loves you as much as he loves that thief. And he'd go through anything to reconcile you and bring you into the kingdom. These soldiers saw that Jesus was courageous. There's no way they could miss that. A soldier couldn't miss that. They saw the courage of Christ. They saw also of course, the love of Jesus. As they forced the two thieves down on their crosses and drove the nails through their hands and feet, the Bible tells us that those men cursed and they blasphemed. The soldiers were used to that. They expected men to scream and curse and threaten. That's what men do when you torture them. They'd seen all that before. But when they hammered the nails into Jesus, they were shocked because he did not curse them. He did not revile them. He never said a word in anger or hatred. When he finally did open his mouth, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The soldiers had never seen that before. 
the one they were killing was praying for them, interceding for them, and forgiving them. They'd never seen love like that. And of course they didn't, they couldn't understand the depths of that love like you and I do after the fact, because we're looking back and we know that Jesus actually came to die. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his son for you and for I. That Jesus was actually dying in our place. Peter says, bearing our sins in his body on the tree. We know the cross was meant for me and for you. That Jesus loved us enough to die in our stead and to forgive our sins. And we know it was love, not nails, that held him there. Jesus said, I could call legions of angels at any time to escape from this pain and this torture. It wasn't nails, it was his love that held him on the cross because of his love for you and because of his love for me. The soldiers didn't understand all that then, but you can be sure they never forgot the look in Jesus' eye when he said, Father, forgive them. They saw his courage. They saw his love. And finally, they saw the victorious nature of the death of Christ. They saw his victory in the way he died. I hope you can track with me for just a second as I try to tell you what I have in my heart and my mind here. They'd seen a lot of men die through crucifixion. Crucifixion was a slow and agonizing death, and life would seep out of you. Generally, it would take days And ultimately, the sufferer would suffocate. That's why in this instance, if you remember the story, because of the Passover, they went to break the legs, and they did break the legs of the two thieves so that they couldn't lift themselves up to breathe anymore. They wanted to expedite. Generally, it took days. They were trying to expedite it. It was unusual for somebody to die in three to six hours. These men saw Jesus die quickly, Not because he was exhausted, not because his life was ebbing out of him, but because he chose exactly when and where and how to die. There were seven things that Jesus said on the cross. We don't want to go through all of them, but two of them are pertinent here. The first is that Jesus at some point said these words, it is finished. In other words, the work that I came to do, the work that the Father gave me to do to save men from their sins and reconcile people back to God, he said, it's finished. To tell us I, it's done. I've completed, God, what you've called me to do. And then the second thing, the next thing that he said is, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. In other words, it's done, it's finished. The job is over. Now, Father, I'm coming back to you. And then he bowed his head, and the Bible says he gave up the ghost. He just bowed his head. He said, it's time. He bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. And the Bible says he said that in a loud voice. What does that mean? Think with me for a second. He didn't say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Like he couldn't even breathe anymore. He said, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. In other words, I'm, I'm done. I've done the work and I'm coming home to you. And these men saw that. And they saw Jesus chose exactly when and how and where to die. They'd never seen anybody die like that before. For most men, death is defeat. For Jesus, it was victory. 
He was the Lord of life and death, and he had the power to lay his life down, and he had the power to pick it back up. And that's why the centurion, when he saw that, the way, the manner in which Jesus died, you remember what he said, surely this was the Son of God. This was no martyrdom. It was a supreme sacrifice of love. So these four soldiers, they sat for three to six hours and they watched the most momentous event in human history. They saw his courage, they saw his love, and they saw his victory in death. So what did they think? How did they respond? We know how the centurion responded, we don't know how the soldiers responded. It doesn't precisely say, but the reality is it doesn't really matter how they responded. What matters today infinitely more is how are we gonna respond? What do you think about Jesus? Who do you say he is? Is he a great teacher? Is he a great healer? Is he a friend? Or is he king of kings and lord of lords? The victorious one. It's hard to believe for me that those soldiers could have watched him that closely for those hours and remained calloused and indifferent and unmoved. But I know it is possible. Sunday morning and folks are gathering in churches all around the country, all around the world, in fact, today. And there are folks that even come to church and they sit and they hear about Jesus and they hear about the cross and somehow they remain cold and indifferent. To some, it's a story that's too long ago to matter or mean anything today. Got work to do, business to tend to, hobbies to enjoy. And it's just a story. But to others, many of us here today, I believe the majority of us here today, the Holy Spirit is even now making this real in our hearts. <laughs> As we ponder deeply the cross, faith begins to arise in our hearts that maybe somehow the courage, the love and the victory of Jesus might just spill over from him into our lives to help us to be courageous, to help us to be people of love and to help us to walk in victory as he does. And you're right to feel that way because we see what they don't see, what the soldiers never saw because the cross to you and I is now illuminated by the resurrection. That Jesus not only died, but he rose again. You study the life of Jesus, you'll find out he never spoke about the cross without also speaking about the resurrection. They're inseparable to him. And he is now exalted. He's not on the cross anymore. He's exalted, King of kings and Lord of lords. To us, he's not just teacher, although he is teacher. And if you need a word from him today, there's a word available for you. He's not just healer, although he is healer. And if you need healing today, he can do that for you. He's not just a friend of sinners, 
the one who forgives, although he does do that. And if you need that today, he'll do that for you. But to us today, he's king, the victorious one. I wonder if you'd stand with me today as we pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lift our hearts to that majestic summit view that none of us today would settle or be satisfied with the preliminary views, the partial views of who Jesus is. But somehow, Lord, would you help us to see him through the cross and resurrection glorified and magnified Lift our hearts in faith today to see Jesus as he really is in all of his splendor and majesty and glory. God, let faith arise in our hearts that his person is available to us in our lives. I wonder, just as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I wonder if there's anybody here today that you know that you need to make things right with God. I said Jesus is a friend of sinners. Thank God he's a friend of sinners. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with him or your relationship with him is broken. Maybe you even came today to get right with God. You came because you know there's something lacking in your heart and you need God in your life. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Give you an opportunity to raise your hand. Yes, sir, thank you. We've got some friends here with a Bible and they're just gonna put a Bible in your hand. If you'd raise your hand and say, that's me, I wanna make things right with God. I wanna, I wanna meet with God. Is there anybody else who would raise your hand and say that? I wonder folks, if there's anybody here that would raise your hand and say, you know what I need? I need the courage of Jesus Christ to fortify my heart because I've got, I've got difficult things, difficult decisions to make this week. And I need the courage of Jesus to do the right thing, the hard thing. You need the courage of Jesus. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me? Just before God acknowledging, I need that courage of Jesus. Yeah, so many of us, thank you. Jesus, you see these hands. I wonder if there's anybody here today that would raise your hand and by that just mean, God, I need your love to spill over into my heart. That love that forgave. I need love to forgive difficult people. I need love to love difficult people in my life. Would you let your love, Jesus, spill over into my heart? Is anybody here that raised your hand? Yeah, I see your hands. Jesus, you see these hands. Let your love spill over from the cross into our hearts. I wonder if there's anybody here today that needs victory in your life, victory over sin, perhaps victory in a terrible situation. You need a miracle. You need victory over a difficult situation. Would you just raise your hand and say, God, I need victory. I need your victory. Jesus, you see our hands. You see our hands. Holy Spirit, do what we can't do for ourselves. God, in a world, there's so much cowardice. There's so much self-seeking. There's so much defeat. Lord, would you let your courage, would you let your, your unfathomable love and would you let your victory spill over into our hearts today? I pray, God, as we leave this building that we will, as has already been said, be the church, Lord. We didn't go to church today. We're gonna be the church today. Let Jesus be magnified in our hearts. Holy Spirit, 
fill us to overflowing today. The rivers of living water would flow from us. You'd not only do that in our hearts, courage, love, and victory, but in the people that we meet today, the people that we encounter this week, our families, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, God, they would experience the courage and the love and the victory of Jesus Christ. Because what you're doing is you want to do through us. Be magnified, Jesus. Be magnified, Lord Jesus. Be magnified. thank you thank you that your ministry is to exalt Jesus in our hearts Holy Spirit exalt Jesus in our hearts we see you and we love you Jesus thank you for what you've done for us Jesus thank you Jesus for what you've done for us thank you for who you are Holy Spirit, bring healing to bodies that are broken. Glorify your name among us by doing miracles that you do. That only you can do, Jesus. Give us victory, Lord, as we walk through those trials. Speak that peace, be still that calms and quiets our hearts and gives us courage and faith to trust you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Church, let's be the church, amen? Let's be worshipers of Jesus. So we want to make you aware that we have a prayer team that's available to pray with you. If you came in this morning carrying a burden and you'd like somebody to pray with you and help carry that burden, we want to do that. And uh, these wonderful, wonderful leaders are here and available at the front of the church. When we're dismissed, if you want prayer, if you'd make your way to the front of the church, we'd welcome you and believe God with you to do do wonderful things in your life, in your heart, or for the people that you love. We remind you that you can give on the way out today, tithes and offerings, you can give. We receive that gladly and pray God bless you for it. We remind you again, if you're new, to fill out a connection card or come next week when we're gonna have the ability to really connect and we want you to be here and be a part of Lone Star family. Let's go be the church, amen. God bless you. See you next time.